Welcome to Mount Olive First Pentecostal Holiness Church. Thank you for connecting with us. Our desire at MOFPHC is for you and your family to find hope in Jesus Christ so that He will transform your life. Thanks again for connecting with us. Please contact us if we can help you discover God's purpose for your life. Enjoy the message. So I'm going to bring you a message tonight called Me or the Mission. Is it going to be about me or is it going to be about the mission that God has for his church? Because it all belongs to him. There's a factory out in Colorado that I want to visit one day that a friend of mine told me about. It's, he's been there. It's the Celestial Seasonings Tea Factory. Any of you drink Celestial Seasonings Tea? Have you ever tried their mint tea? I'm not a big tea drinker, but some people are. It's supposed to be among the best tea that you can buy. Well, their factory is in Colorado, and and they make all kinds of different flavors of tea. And, And they have in the tea factory what's called the mint room. And it's where they keep all the mint that they use to flavor their teas. Now, this mint room is quite an experience. It is closed off. It's sealed behind two rubber doors. There's a, there's a big rubber door that they close to seal it up. And then there's a garage-like type door that they pull down. It's behind all these doors, and it's protected. And they take you on a tour of the factory, and one of the stops is the mint room. And they say when you walk into the mint room, immediately all your passages are opened up and you have senses, you discover senses that you never had before because you're in the mint room. They say you can only stay in the mint room for just a couple of minutes. If not, you would be overwhelmed by mint and you would pass out. And actually when you come out of the mint room, good entrepreneurs that they are, you can buy a t-shirt that says, I survived the mint room. And one day I'm going to go to Colorado and I'm going to survive the mint room. But they seal it off and they close it. And I like to think about this and I like to ask people this question. Why do you think they seal off the mint room and keep it in airtight condition most of the time? Most of the people I ask that question to say, well, they've got to protect the mint flavor and keep it in the room because if they open the doors the mint would dissipate and it would lose its mintiness it's absolutely wrong (laughs) and I think the error of that answer represents a misconception that we have about the kingdom of God I think it's a powerful powerful picture of God's kingdom the truth is this that if the door is left open to the mint room for one hour All the tea in the factory will become mint tea. And they say that if they left the door open for a day, that you could smell the mint four miles in every direction from that factory. They don't close the doors to protect and hide the mint and keep it safe. They keep it closed because if they open it, everything turns to mint. And that represents to me the powerful kingdom of God and the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. People say sometimes, well, you know, we've got to protect the gospel. We've got to protect Pentecost. And it's like where there used to be an old song in the old songbooks called Hold the Fort. None of y'all are old enough to remember that, I don't guess, but... uh, 
it's almost this fortress mentality that we've got something here in the church and it's very fragile, you know, and we've got to keep our arms. I'm telling you, the day that Jesus needs me to protect him is a really bad day for planet Earth. The day the Holy Spirit puts me in charge of preserving Pentecost is a bad day for planet Earth. I'm telling you, we don't have to protect the kingdom or protect the gospel. We've just got to open the doors and let it out into our community and let it transform everybody around us. Pastor Jeff was sharing with me today about how Pastor Doug came and reached out to him and led him to Christ, and now he's leading this church. And to me, that's got to be a prophetic picture of what God wants to do over and over and over again through this church, send you out of here with the minty flavor and fragrance of Jesus Christ all over your community, winning people to him that he's going to raise up and turn into capable and faithful ministers like your pastor. I see that happening again and again and again. It's my prayer that the fragrance of Jesus would go out from this place and touch your community far, miles, either way, and I believe God's going to do it. I used to say something that uh, sounded really good and sounded really spiritual, and I felt really holy when I used to say this, and I've said it many times from the pulpit, and I was praying about this just a couple weeks ago, and God told me not to say it again. And I said, yes, sir. I used to make a statement. I used to say, folks, in the last days, it's going to get darker and darker out there in the world. Things, perilous times are coming out in the world. And it's just going to get darker and darker. But I had to fire up the church a little bit. So I'd say, but it's going to get brighter and brighter amongst God's people. It's going to get brighter in here, but darker out there. And I used to feel so spiritual when I said that. And I would get a whole lot of amens too. And anytime a pastor feels spiritual and gets a lot of amens, he tends to say that thing again. And I was in prayer just a couple weeks ago and I was thinking over that and the Holy Spirit said, that's what Jesus said to me in prayer. He said, that's not the way light works. That's not the way light works. He said, you are the light of the world. And if it gets lighter in here, it has to get lighter out there. The only way it could possibly get lighter in here and darker out there is if the light is hidden under a basket. And I said, Jesus, help me never to think that way again. The condition of the world, now get ready, points back to us. The condition of the world today points back to us. We have no right to stand in our pulpits or sit in our pews and curse the darkness when Jesus says, we are the light of the world. We've got to open the doors and get out there. We've got to let the Holy Spirit fill us with the presence of Jesus Christ so that everywhere we go, we are Jesus in that place. Everywhere we go, we carry his presence into that place. Do you believe God wants to do that in your midst? Wherever you go, Jesus is there. Not just because he's omnipresent, because he is everywhere, but Jesus is wherever you go because he lives inside of you. And when you sit down in a restaurant, Jesus is there to minister to your server. When you go into a place of business, Jesus is there because he lives in you and he wants to touch you so that you can touch your community. 
what puts a basket over the church? Now, I'm going to tell you some stuff today. This isn't my favorite message, and it's not the one I really wanted to preach, but it's the one God told me to, so I have to do this. But I want to sow some seed in you that I believe will produce a great harvest in the future if we can receive this. What are the things that put a basket over our life and keep us from being the church that Jesus would have us to be? There's a, a powerful story in the Old Testament. It's in Numbers chapter 21. And it's a time when the children of Israel were out in the desert and they started complaining against God and against Moses. They were getting impatient. The Edomites would not let them pass through their country. If you've read Numbers, there's a situation where the Edomites said, we don't want you in our land. Go around. So they had to go the long way around. Have you ever had to go the long way around somewhere and you really didn't like it? You knew a shortcut and you, you got caught in traffic and you were going around the long way and you just got impatient. It says in Numbers 21, 4 and 5, Then the people of Israel set out from Mount Hor, taking the road to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. But the people grew impatient with the long journey. And they began to speak against God and Moses saying this, Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die here in the wilderness? And they complained and said, There's nothing to eat here and nothing to drink. And we hate this horrible manna. You just think about that for a minute. God, by his mighty hand, had delivered his people out of years of Egyptian bondage. He led them out miraculously out of Egypt with the spoils of Egypt in their bags. He'd taken them out to the wilderness, led them up to the promised land. They didn't have faith enough to go in, so God said, the only place left for you is to go back. If you don't have the faith to enter into God's promised land, you're doomed to wander in a wilderness. So that's what happens. So they're now wandering around in the wilderness. They get on this long trek around Edom, and now they start complaining about the supernatural provision of God, manna that appeared on the ground every morning, six days a week. It appeared, and they ate it and loved it. But they began to complain about the very blessing God was sending into their life. Aren't those Israelites awful? I'm thanking God that that never happens in church today, aren't you? I'm glad we've just banished complaining from our midst, and we never do that. Now, the truth is, one of the things that puts a basket over the light of the church is when we allow a spirit of complaining to come in, and when we begin to pick apart problems and things we don't like in the church. When I make it about me, I will always find something wrong. When I make it about me, there will always be something going on that doesn't suit my preference. I told you it's going to be straightforward tonight. I hope you, hope you know me well. I love you, and I'm going to tell you this, because I'm not telling you this because I've heard anything about you, because everything I know about you and everything I feel about you is great. I'm telling you from my experience, I know what it's like. If I make it about me, I'll find something wrong. God can be moving in the best way. God can be saving people. I've been to services, folks, when God saved 10 or 15 people on a Sunday morning, and I get to the back door, and somebody tells me, Preacher, that was a pretty good service, but the music was too loud. <laughs> or it's too cold in here. Or too hot in here. I have been told in the same service that the music was too loud and too quiet. I have been told that the sanctuary was too cold and too hot. Depends on how old you are. 
The more I progress, I'm getting with the cold crowd. (laughs) What do you do with that as a leader? I tell you what you do. You realize that you're living for an audience of one and you're trying to please him. You're trying to stay connected to his mission. You don't try to please everybody and make everybody happy because you just can't do that. It's impossible. (laughs) But here's what happened. Here's what happened. They began to complain And the Bible says the Lord sent fiery serpents into the camp. Now we interpret the Old Testament. The Bible is a progressive revelation. We understand in the New Testament what happened. I believe from a New Testament revelation and understanding, here's what we would see. That complaining takes us outside of God's protection. And that's a very serious thing. You realize the children of Israel were protected supernaturally in the wilderness. They were provided for super. You want to take millions of people out into the wilderness and feed them, God has to do that. You want to take millions of people through the wilderness and them not get killed by wild animals, but it says they went through the wilderness all this time and their clothes didn't even wear out because God's supernatural protection and provision was upon them. But when they began to complain, his protection lifted and the snakes came in. Complaining opens the door for the devil to come in and destroy the people of God and destroy the work of God. Whenever we get caught up in nitpicking things that we don't like, we invite the destroyer into our body. We invite him into our church. We invite him into our lives. They disdain the very manna of God because they made it about me. This is what I've seen over the years. Our church, you know, this had gone from 80 to 1,000, and it's true, and we've been through many different growth bears, and growth always brings change. Growth always brings new things, and sometimes change is difficult. The older I get, the harder it is for me to change, and I'm starting to understand how difficult it can be to change because I like for things to stay the same. But the mission of Jesus is more important than me. The mission of Jesus is more important than what I like. Let me just say this to you. You will have, as the years go by, and and, uh, y'all are doing so great. I'm not up here to lecture you. You guys are doing so awesome. But I'm going to tell you this. In the future, uh, God's going to send some people, and the devil's going to send some people. Some people are going to come in because Jesus sent them, and some people are going to come in because the devil sent them in here to mess up what God's doing. They're going to come. They're on assignment from the devil, and you'll find it out pretty quickly. Don't be afraid to deal with them. Don't be afraid to put them in their place. Oh, I'm preaching now. Oh, Lord, have mercy. I'm getting nervous up here now. I felt really good. Now I'm getting nervous. When people come in and they make it about me, you got to stand up and say, the mission's more important than me. What God's doing is more important than what you or I think or what you or I want. And we're going to get behind the leadership of our church, and we're going to get behind our pastor, and we're going to follow the vision that God puts in his heart. We're going to chase after it with all our hearts. And when it makes us uncomfortable... When we don't understand and when we don't like what's going on, we're going to embrace it even more and say, thank you, Jesus, because you're leading us forward into a great and mighty harvest. People will come in sometimes, and they'll think they're really spiritual. 
and they'll act really spiritual. They don't come in saying, I'm from the devil and I'm here to destroy your church. <laughs> they come in with a word from God about what's wrong with you. I'm just going to look at my notes and preach. I'm not even going to look out there. I'm just going to read all this. <laughs> they come in and say, you know, I just, they always had, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to make fun because people can be legitimate in receiving a word from God. But I found out the complainers will often say, you know, I just feel like there's something wrong here. It doesn't take a lot of spiritual maturity or discernment to figure out something's wrong. I can tell you right now, there are a lot of things wrong in this church because there's people here. There's a lot of wrong things, right? Things are going to go wrong here every week. People are going to make mistakes. People are going to have attitudes. People are not always going to get along. People are going to sin and need forgiveness and need redemption. It doesn't take any spiritual man coming down from the mountain to tell us things are wrong. So stop looking at that as a mark of somebody that's spiritual. An immature five-year-old can figure out there's some things wrong. It takes a spiritual person to really get a hold of what's going right and get behind that and enjoy that even when it doesn't go exactly as they want it to go. This guy came to me one time. I, I probably told this at the conference. Jeff may have heard me tell this. I think he did. Had a man come to me, and he was so sincere, and I just thought it, it sounded so wonderful. And uh, he said, Pastor, I just want you to know, this was after a great service. People had gotten saved, and great things were going. He'd been coming to church about a month or two. He said, Pastor, I just want you to know, I've been looking for a church like this for 30 years. He said, I've searched around and I've looked around. He said, I can't tell you how many churches I've been to and I've just looked for a church like this for 30 years. The spirit and the mission and the power and everything that's going on here is just awesome and I just thank God I found this place and I thought, wow, this is a wonderful thing. He said, but I just want to tell you, this is going to be our last Sunday here because, he said, because the music's just too loud for me. Oh, uh, well, that escalated quickly. That really went harsh very fast. <laughs> what do you do with that? Yeah, that's exactly what you do. God has given me an anointing to say goodbye to some people. Oh, Lord, are y'all recording this? Don't let this get back to Hendersonville. I always get in trouble. Uh, it's not streamed, is it? Somebody's probably watching. Okay. Here's what you do. I don't know if I'm preaching or what I'm doing up here, but uh, I'm trying to sow some good seed. When they've come back about ten times and something else is wrong, here's what I do now. I used to try to make them happy, but now that I'm 51... Lord, help us all when I turn 60. I don't know what's going to happen. But, but I talked to a person just a few weeks ago, and it was about the 20th complaint. And I just said to them, I said, I love you, and you love me. Go find the place where you need to be. We'll still be friends. 
you don't have to come to this church for me to love you, but it's obvious that we're never going to be able to make you happy, so I just release you to go where you need to go. Oh, no, Pastor, I was not saying that. No, no, no. I release you. You got to be willing. When you build a culture that's like the mint room, it'll draw people, but it'll also repel people. You'll draw the right ones, and the wrong ones will leave. Don't cry. Don't weep. God saved you from a lot of trouble. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Let's move on to another point, please. <coughs> I did what you said, Lord. I just want you to know I said it. <laughs> so what happened? What happened next? The people are complaining, and the snakes came in. So it said they were fiery serpents. I don't like snakes at all. I do not like snakes. I like to, if I see a snake, it should be dead. And, uh. I always, every time I say that, I had a lady come up to me and she said, don't you know, Pastor, snakes are God's creatures too. And I said, no, they're from the devil, read your Bible. And uh, <laughs> Read your Bible, sweetie. Book of Genesis, you'll figure out that uh, um, the snakes came in and the Bible says, Numbers 21, 7, the people came to Moses and cried out, we have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord, I, I find this funny, pray that the Lord will take away the snakes. <laughs> Just get these snakes out of here, Moses, please. And I love Moses. It said Moses prayed for the people. And I love it how Moses never gave up on people. Even when God said, let me start over with you, Moses. He said, Lord, your name's more important to me than that. Your name is more important to me than any of that. Here's what the Lord told him to do, and I don't get this. I, I, I think I have a little understanding, and I'll share it with you. The Lord said this, make a replica of a poisonous snake and attach it to a pole, and all who are bitten will live if they, if they simply look at it. So Moses made a snake out of bronze and attached it to a pole. Then anyone who was bitten by a snake could look at the bronze snake and be healed. I don't totally get that, but I'm trying to understand that. God had made a, a, a prohibition to them against making a carving of any type of animal before. So this, on the surface, almost seems to be a reversal of that. But I think I have just a little bit of understanding about what this was about. Uh, I love the image of a snake hanging on a pole. <laughs> I do not like the image of a snake slithering on the ground. I like to run, and I have a park in uh, the town of Fletcher where I live, and I go running, and about dusk in that park, it, in the fall especially, you don't know, it's like white gravel trail, and everything across the trail is either a stake or a stick. <laughs> the trail runs right along a creek, and there are a lot of snakes. So when you're running, me anyway, I'm running along thinking, is that a snake or a stick, a snake or a stick? And one time I, I jumped over what I thought was a stick, and it moved, and I realized it was a snake. And I have a watch that measures my heart rate, and you could see the heart rate jump when I looked back on it later. I said, that's where I ran over that snake. I don't like snakes. But the most pretty picture of a snake, if I see a snake, I'm going to go get a garden hoe, and I'm going to chop its head off. Then I'm going to pick him up on that pole, and that's the prettiest picture of a snake I ever had when he's hanging there. Do you know the earliest depiction in the Bible of the victory of God over sin 
is a picture of a dead snake. I love this. Mankind failed in Genesis chapter 3. Do you ever stop and think about the fact that we had it perfect and we only made it two chapters into the Bible before we blew it? <laughs> two chapters, that's all we could do. Couldn't even get through one book. Let me wonder if there's a whole book of Genesis we did okay and then we fell in Exodus, but no, Genesis 3, we're done. But God had a plan even then. He spoke to the serpent and he said, this woman, Genesis 3, 15, he said, this woman's going to have a seed, a seed, a human, a child is going to come from this woman. And serpent, you will bruise his heel but he will crush your head. And the seed was Jesus. And Satan thought he was doing something big at the cross, but God said, that's just a bruise on his heel. And in that very act, when you think you're bruising his heel, he's going to step down on you and crush your head and destroy your power forever. Destroy you forever and ever. And you will have no power, no power going forward. And that's so true of the devil. He's a defeated foe. We give him so much credit and we give him so much power, but he has been and is and forever will be defeated to the point to where one day the Bible said the nations are going to look at him and say, is that who everybody was talking about? Is that the one who caused all this trouble? He's under the feet of Jesus. So the very first picture of the defeat of Satan and the victory of Jesus was a dead snake. I think the bronze serpent ties into that. It's a snake hanging on a pole. Looking at the dead snake reminds me that the devil is powerless in my life. He is dead to me and I'm dead to sin. That's what the Bible said. Reckon yourselves to be dead to sin. The bronze serpent also is mentioned in the New Testament by none other than Jesus Christ in the words in red. Anybody ever heard of John 3, 16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You just go back two verses to John 3, 14. And Jesus said this, As Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. The bronze serpent was a type of Jesus Christ, that Jesus said, That snake on a pole represents me being lifted up on the cross, where I will give my life for the sin of humanity and break the power of sin and break the power of the devil forever. That's the place that he crushed the head of the serpent. So that snake was a type of Jesus. Man, I'm starting to like that thing. It was powerful. God used it. Moses made it. Jesus pointed back to it and said, that snake represents me. Man, if we had that snake today, we'd put it on the wall somewhere. We'd say, that's the snake where everybody looked and they got healed. It's a wonder. Have you ever wondered what happened to that thing? You know, people think about what happened to the ark and, you know, uh, did Indiana Jones find it or uh, <laughs> what happened to all these things and how wonderful it would be. Some people think they found the ark or the ark of the covenant and, and uh, all these things. The Bible tells us exactly what happened to this thing. And it's amazing and it's interesting. We jump forward, and I'm going to close here in just a minute, or two, or 30. Uh, uh, <laughs> 2 Kings 18. 
we read of King Hezekiah, who's a tremendous, and I'm not going to preach a whole new sermon on this, so don't worry. Um, after Solomon, the kingdom was divided into Israel and Judah. And, and roughly until the captivity of both sides, Israel and Judah, there were about 40 kings. And the Bible says about them, most of them it says, they did not follow in the ways of King David or their fathers. They did not follow the Lord. Some of them got, some of them got a thumbs down. All the kings of Israel were evil, all of them. All of them were bad. Kings of Judah, there were some of them that were kind of, mm, okay. There's only three kings who were consistently good and followed after God's heart and in the ways of David for their entire lives. Only three, and they were all king over Judah. There was Asa, there was Josiah, and then there was Hezekiah. And the Bible says of Hezekiah, he was a tremendous leader, 2 Kings 18. It says, Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, began to rule over Judah in the third year of King Hosea's reign in Israel. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. He did, this is the key of his life, he did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, just as his ancestor David had done. Now, you ready to hear some of the things Hezekiah did? Awesome. He removed the pagan shrines. Can anybody say amen? He tore down the pagan shrines. He went and cut down the poles and the, and the pillars and the temples of Baal. He leveled all those things and knocked them down. It said he smashed the sacred pillars. Anybody say hallelujah? He knocked down those pillars to false god. He cut down the Asherah poles. He was just slaying idols everywhere. Asherah, the goddess of fertility. And, I mean, he's doing stuff we could shout about, right? Do you just love it when leaders lead and when they do good things? and when they build up good things and when they tear down things. Then it says he broke up the bronze servant that Moses had made. What? What? Full stop here. He's destroying all these idols, but then he goes to meddling. Did you hear what he did? He broke the bronze serpent that Moses made. I mean, Moses was our pastor for a long time. Moses led us, and Moses put that thing there. Are you with me? He didn't check out on me, right? Moses made it. I've told you all kind of good stuff about that bronze serpent, haven't I? God healed people through it. You could look at it and live, saying, look to Jesus, look to the cross and be healed and live. Jesus mentioned it, but Hezekiah ground it to powder. What? Shouldn't that have been a relic that was preserved? Shouldn't we have kept that snake around in case we ever got sick again? Shouldn't we have hung it up on the wall somewhere in case the snakes ever got in the camp again and we could have looked to it and been healed? No, it said this. Hezekiah broke up the bronze serpent that Moses had made because the people of Israel had been offering sacrifices to it. When I make it about me, I worship the method instead of getting behind the mission. Oh, I just got in trouble. When I make it about me, I worship the method instead of chasing after the mission that God has given us. And I'm just going to tell you, we're experts at that in the church. 
we worship methods many times at the expense of the mission. Bronze serpent was a good thing in its day, but that was just for a season. God was in it in its day, but that was just for a season. Jesus mentioned how good it was, but it was not Jesus. It simply pointed to Jesus in its day. And there come a day, there came a day when it was time to do away with the bronze serpent and go forward in the mission of the people of Israel. And Hezekiah was a bold leader who had the courage to break something that Moses had made and God had blessed and God had used, but he recognized that the method had become an idol and he destroyed it. The world's changed. We live in a different culture. We live in a new day. And I want to assure you, there are some things that are eternal about the church. The gospel of Jesus Christ is eternal. The power of the Holy Spirit is eternal. The word of God and the gospel and the standards of God are eternal. But the methods are just things. The way we do church is just a thing. How far can I go, Lord, is what I'm saying. What drives the decisions of your church? Is it the mission? Or is it the fear of what people might think? Is it the mission? Or is it the tradition of the way we've always done it? That can be a brass serpent. I didn't read to you the, what they started calling it. It said the bronze serpent was called... Nehushtan. The word Nehushtan is a word they really invented in Hebrew to describe this thing, and it simply means that thing. <laughs> that brass thing. It's just a thing. It's not Jesus. It's not God. It's a thing. Amen? It's a thing. And sometimes things change. Churches are terrible about holding on to things. Let go of things and embrace the mission that is eternal. Amen. Amen. Embrace a mission that's eternal. When Pastor Jeff says we got to change something and we may have to start doing a new thing, he didn't tell me to say this. I'm not even going to look at him. Might as well just put my head down. When he says we've got to start something new and since we can't do everything we've got to stop something we used to do or we've got to change the way we used to do it here's what you need to say it's just a thing Amen. the gospel is forever the Holy Spirit is forever the mission is forever that's just a thing okay now I'm going to make you mad about something we did okay uh, we did a big remodel in the church and, and I've been there 23 years Jeff, I'm having to get rid of some things that I built. When you've been around that long, uh, you're, you have to tear down some stuff that you started. 
we built a new church in 2005. That's been 15 years ago now. In July, it'll be 15 years. And we built a beautiful sanctuary, and it would seat about 400 people at the time. And we put a beautiful, right back here, there's a beautiful uh, rock in the middle and a beautiful gold cross on the wall. And I'll never forget when we bought that and installed that beautiful gold cross. And it just became something that everybody looked at and everybody saw. And it just kind of was part of our church. We did a whole big remodel, and we had to remodel the whole back. And so there's a screen on this side and a screen on that side, and we put the words to the music up there, and there's a big screen that runs all the way across the center, and we put the Bible verses up there. So now when I preach, the scripture is up there huge, like huge behind me, but we had to move the cross. (laughs) I'm going to be honest with you. There was only, out of a 1,000 people, only about 10 got sideways about it. But I had people coming to me saying, where's our cross? When's our cross going up? And I had a a ready-made answer. I said, instead of the cross, we got the Bible up there now. Are you okay with that? (laughs) See, I was ready for them. You know what we did with that cross? We've got it in a garage right now. It's in storage. When we expand our building, it's going to go on the outside of the building. So I've told people, we hadn't got rid of the cross. I had people mad about the cross that weren't there when we put the cross up. (laughs) I said to one guy, I said, listen, you're talking to the man that helped buy that cross and put it up there in the first place. That's our cross. This is not yours. You weren't even here. (laughs) I didn't say that. I thought it. (laughs) We understand what that represents. But in all actuality, That thing's a piece of fiberglass. We still believe in the cross. We still preach Jesus. We're still about the mission. And that's got to come first. We sat with our board some time ago. I promised I'm going to quit, and I am. We sat with our board, and we were making some decisions about starting some things and stopping some things. And we started worrying about people being mad about some things we would change. And we made a decision at the board that our decisions in our church were going to be driven by our mission and not by fear and not by tradition of what God had called us to do, to see people saved, to see lives transformed. And by God's grace, we're going to move forward with that and see it happen. Paul said this, and I'm going to quit. 1 Corinthians 9.22, he said, To the weak I became as weak that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. By all means, by all methods, by everything I can do to bring somebody in. I said this, times are changing. People's patterns are changing. People don't attend things like they used to. You realize that? I'm going to go over just a little bit. That's okay. People don't attend baseball games like they used to. Have you seen a NASCAR race recently? Do you like NASCAR up here? Have you seen how empty the stands are now when they go around? Why? People stay at home. And and that's not a good thing. Uh, I'm not saying that's great, but I'm saying it's a pattern of people. 
we've started uh, one thing that's hard for people to get their minds around is we've started an online campus and that's where people can watch our services online and experience the church online and and that's not the ideal we want them to come in because there's only so much life you can experience experience looking through a computer screen but we have a lady I was telling Jeff this today we have a lady in Canada that's with us every Sunday morning. We have about 100 people who join us online every Sunday. She's in Canada, and she's more involved in the life of our church than some people who are there. You know, some people are there, but they're not. (laughs) We have a connect group that meets online for young mothers who have little children that can't get out. Any of you moms have young children, and, and you can't get to everything at the church? God bless you. Don't try to come to everything. You've got kids. But these young moms meet. As soon as they put their children to bed, they sit down and they get online and they have a small group meeting together. By all means, whatever you have to do to reach people, be willing to do it to get the gospel to them. Let decisions be driven by mission. Here's what I want to pray with you, and I'm going to quit. I want to pray that if you have any spirit of complaining in you that you will give that to God right here tonight if anything in you has been looking around finding things wrong and getting stirred up by things you don't like that you'll just lay that down to Jesus right here tonight because his mission is bigger than you or me Now, I can tell you, you have a choice in that. If you get caught up in that spirit of complaining, what's going to happen is you're going to get distant from the congregation. And one day, you're not going to be here. And you're going to miss all the things that God's going to do right here that you could have been a wonderful part of, but you let the devil draw you off into something, draw you off into negativity. And if that's you, I just want to invite you to give that to Jesus tonight and say, Lord, let me be about the mission. I also want to pray for the rest of you here that God will give you the strength to stand when you face these kind of things. You faced them before, and you wouldn't be where you are if you didn't already have some of that. But I just want to pray for you that God will give you the strength to do that to recognize when that comes into your church and stand up against it for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want to pray for you that the mission will always take priority above the methods, that you'll never idolize a thing, but you'll call it just a thing and keep the mission first. Amen. Can I pray that for you? Would you stand tonight? I'll invite Kevin or the team to come up and play something I, I just want to pray for you and I almost just stepped off right there wouldn't that have been a good way to end this all right here <laughs> I'd have got up and still prayed for you but we'd have got a good laugh out of it wouldn't we <laughs> oh goodness Jesus thank you thank you for your word thank you for your power Holy Spirit I just pray you'll move throughout this room right now by your power thank you you're here God I'm standing in a place today that's your place God this is holy ground 
this ground is expanding and growing for a harvest that's coming. Father, you've prepared a people here that I truly believe are ready to receive a harvest of souls and growth. And I just thank you for that, Jesus. Lord, I come to you tonight on behalf of any of those who are here who are experiencing a negativity complaining spirit is trying to knock at the door of their hearts and Lord I pray right now tonight they'll just repent and say Father forgive me forgive me for making it about me and not about the mission forgive me Lord for letting my preferences take priority over souls being saved and lives being changed God, I pray for this church, for Pastor Jeff and the leaders here. God, that you'll put a fire in their soul and such a passion for the mission, God, that they'll be able to contend for the mission, God, and stand. So many times the Apostle Paul talked about people being sent in from the enemy to cause disruption and division, Father. And I thank you for Pastor Jeff and the leadership of this church that's been given the courage, the wisdom, and the strength to deal with that and to keep going forward in spite of that. Father, I ask that you protect this church from that. God, I pray that in this powerful, powerful church that the mission will always stay first. That your call and your commission to go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature will always be the most important thing, not the method that by all means we can bring people to you. I just thank you for that today, Father. We surrender our hearts. We surrender our church to you. For Jesus, none of this belongs to us. We didn't die for it. We don't uphold it. We don't carry it forward. It's yours, and we're stewards. And one day, it all goes back to you. We give it to you today. In your mighty name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you all so much. Praise God for what he's done. God's good.